You're listening to the We Lead Well podcast, where well-being matters. The show is brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchat.com and the Teach Well Alliance. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the We Lead Well podcast. I'm Vicky Maguire. I'm a coach working in schools with leaders to help them to improve their own well-being and that of all their staff. I'm really pleased today to welcome Jill Berry to the show. Dr Jill Berry is the former head of Dame Alice Harper School in Bedford and since leaving headship she's worked as an associate for the National College for Teaching and Leadership and she's also completed a doctorate in education. She's been involved in Women Ed and now Diverse Ed and she's an advocate for the opportunities provided by social media and networking. It was great to interview Jill. She tells us all about Women Ed and how it started and grew and the subsequent diversity groups that have grown out of it and her involvement in those. We talk about how we can get more women to become head teachers um, and we talk about diversity in schools and in education. And we explore how we can recognise our unconscious biases as leaders and how we can adapt our working processes and systems to address them and make a commitment to leading more diverse organisations. I'm absolutely certain that you're going to really enjoy this interview just like I did. Here we go with Dr Jill Berry. Dr Jill Berry, welcome to the show. It's nice to have you on. Um, I, th- I think I saw you on Twitter and we were part of a, of a discussion um, which made me think I would really like to get you on the show. So it's great that you, that you accepted my invitation. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's very good to be here. I thought I recognised your name when you popped up on my Twitter feed. I didn't know whether we'd met, but but your name was familiar to me. So was yeah, it? I'm pleased to be here. Yeah, that's great. Um, so can you start off? Um, I know you've had a, a very broad and varied career. So can you start off by just giving the listeners an overview of, of who you are and, and what you've done? Absolutely. So I started teaching in 1980, which I recognise is a very long time ago to many people. Um, And over the next 30 years, I taught in six different schools. So they were quite different schools. So I did have quite a a broad experience, as you say. So I taught in state and independent. I taught in selective and comprehensive. I taught all girls, all boys, co-ed, different parts of the country. Um, Started in the Northwest. Sounds like you might be from the Northwest. Started (laughs) my career as a secondary school English teacher in a co-ed comprehensive in Formby, north of Liverpool. Um, So I've moved around a fair bit and I also taught in a 4 to 18 school and a 7 to 18 school as well as 11 to 18 schools. But I am a secondary specialist so I started life teaching English in senior schools. I've also taught adults um, at night school, um, GCSE and A level. So yeah I had a broad career and I loved it and I loved headship particularly headship was the job of all the others that gave me the greatest sense of reward and satisfaction and joy actually but when I became a head I was 42 and they asked me at interview how long they thought I'd be in post for and I said I thought probably 10 years was quite a good block of time to be a head in one school it gives you time to establish things and make sure that things are properly embedded so that when you move on your successor can build on that and it was it came to be the right answer I didn't want to move before that there was still plenty to do and I was still enjoying it but I didn't want to be ahead in the same school for 15-20 years I know some are and it can work but for me and maybe for the school I thought perhaps after 10 years the skill set of the head it needed might not have been the same as it was when I was appointed, which was actually a year before I started. So I finished headship in 2010 and I was 52. Um, And so I had eight years where I needed to think about earning a little bit of money before I could access my pension because I'm fortunate enough to be able to do that at 60. So since then I've done a number of different things, but all education related 
and that's been fascinating as well and it's been 10 years now amazingly I feel like I was ahead forever and it seems like two minutes since I've stopped but it is 10 years and I've done lots of interesting things plus I've done a doctorate about moving to headship I've written a book about the doctorate and my own experience do lots of online at the moment um, leadership development work spend a ridiculous amount of time on Twitter Vicky, I have to say, um, write an education blog. And I've been writing a lot this year because in lockdown, I've had the time and that's been interesting. And, and the world of Twitter, actually, and the spin-off events have, have presented me with all kinds of interesting opportunities like doing this. It, it's been yeah. brilliant at giving me chances to, to do things education related, but different things. So life is good. Even in lockdown, I would say life is good. Yeah, it um, sounds, I'm still very it sounds enthusiastic. It. Yeah, I, I was just thinking because like social media and networking is is something that you favour quite strongly. And I was just I just did an interview with um, Dr. Helen um, Dr. Helen Kelly, and she was talking about creating networks. And I think um, that networking on on social media on Facebook and Twitter is probably something that can support school leaders in their well being. Absolutely. And I think this year, interestingly, I'm doing um, a keynote at um, a UK Edu Stories Teach Me on Thursday evening. And I'm going to talk about the power of connection. This year, connecting with other people has been especially vital. And it's also been particularly difficult. And one of the things that those I know who are working in schools say is really quite draining and frustrating is just not being able to have those conversations in the corridor and that give that support and show friendship because everybody's in their own literally bubble doing their own thing <laughs> yeah. so I think we've had to find this way this year different ways of connecting and networking because we do need to support each other and we do need to share and learn from each other. And as you say, in terms of well-being for leaders, being able to talk to other people who are grappling with similar problems is reassuring. And it's also productive because you learn things that you think actually that might work in my context and you contribute to other people's learning. So, yeah, huge fan. Yeah. And I think I think it's also um You've, you've got those networks and you can do the work related, um, you can have the work related conversations, but it also feels like there's a bit of an outlet of what did, what, what did you have for your tea or what, you know, what, what are you doing? I, I don't know. There, there are different ways of, of it being a stress reliever and it's not just talking about work related issues. I've seen all sorts of discussions going on on Twitter. Yeah. And it's about building friendships. I mean, I can think of some of the people that I know now who I meet for coffee or lunch normally, or I might be having chatty Zooms with at the moment, who I wouldn't have met had it not been for Twitter, really. And, and I think that's been hugely um, unexpected. You know, I think I'm in my 60s now. I don't expect necessarily to be making many new friends, but I've made a lot of new friends. And the other thing that's really interesting is that my networks are incredibly diverse. The last time I went to a Women Ed face-to-face -face event, which was last year, I looked around and thought, I know so many people here who are not just like me, you know, different ethnicity, different sexuality, different gender identity, different. And I thought this is brilliant because it's brought me into contact with people who can open my eyes to all kinds of lived experiences that I would probably never have, have encountered. And that is a huge benefit of social media. And it's not just national, it's international. You know, I've got connections in completely different cultures countries and cultures and that's all because of the effect of social media yeah it's a great way to broaden your experience of of other of a more diverse range of people I guess isn't it yeah. you talked about women ed there um, and you've done a lot of work with them haven't you so can you tell us a bit about about the work that you've done with them Yes, women had started in 2015 and it started interestingly with a series of tweets and a few blogs um, a principal called Helena Marsh who um, is is head of a state school in Cambridgeshire she 
went to an event about women in education and women in leadership and she wrote a blog about it uh, which was called what glass ceiling and i saw the blog on twitter and i responded and i talked about some of the lost leaders i've worked with over the years women who i assumed would go on to headship who didn't and in some cases there were good reasons for that they chose not to and i absolutely respect that choice but in other cases it didn't seem to be a choice it seemed to be something that had happened to them as a result of circumstances and barriers and lack of support or lack of role models or whatever and really women had kind of all sprang up from from that exchange that people said we ought to do something about this and the steering group formed helena was part of the steering group I said I can't be part of a steering group because at the time I was writing my um, doctoral thesis and I said I don't need any more distraction here. I'm, I'm getting to be to say no. Oh, an, an, an expert <laughs> at displacement <laughs> theory. Honestly, my, my fridge had never been cleaner. You know, shall I write my, my thesis or shall I do something else? So I said I'd always support it and I always have. Um, and the steering group organized an unconference as they called it in london in october 2015 and then there's been one of those every year now there are regional groups there are international groups we had this year the, the unconference as a global online event which was absolutely fantastic yeah, it was a real example of taking a challenge and making it an opportunity to connect with people who wouldn't have been able to come to a face-to-face -face event in the UK. So I've written, um, I wrote a chapter in the first Women Ed book. I've spoken at lots of Women Ed events and you know, it, it's, it's brilliant. It's, it's for people, men and women, who are committed to supporting women in education and helping them deal with some of the barriers. And sometimes those barriers are in our own heads rather than actually anyone else obstructing our path. So yeah, I'm, I'm very committed to that. Um, but it isn't anti-men, it isn't anything, it, it isn't, it's about everybody just helping women because there are certain barriers that women face just as Baymed sprang up following in its footsteps using the same model for people whose who whose race ethnicity can be a barrier um, and then there's lgbt ed which is developed and there's disability ed so and, and actually i'm now quite involved in in diverse ed which is about helping all people in underrepresented groups fulfill their professional potential in education particularly so i think it's been a brilliant movement and again i don't think it would have happened without twitter and the world of spin-off twitter events because that was how the connections first became formed and became strengthened so yeah it's brilliant and, and diversity and inclusion is something i do feel very strongly about because there's a lot of wasted potential out there because people aren't being supported to be the best they can be and i'm very committed to helping in any way i can yeah it's interesting that you should say about um, women who you know you see the potential in to become heads or i think my ambition was to become a head at one point in my career and um i was a deputy and then that's that's as far as i got i'm i'm, I'm not a deputy head anymore I, I i'm a coach um still working in schools and sometimes i think oh i might quite like to go back and and be ahead but what what do you think it is that that prevents more women from becoming heads because the statistics are they're back to front aren't they so it's about something like 67 percent of teachers are women but 67 percent of heads are men i know it's not exactly that but it's something no, it's, something it's similar isn't saying, it? there's yeah. an imbalance isn't there about two thirds to a third better. isn't it yeah i think it's it, getting better and that, i think that's time. high school that i'm referring to as well it's not as yes gap isn't as primary big is yeah, but yeah. there's still a disproportionate number of male heads in primary, given that the vast majority of, of primary practitioners who are women. And that, my, my experience of being on senior leadership teams as well is that the the proportion of men outweighs women on, on each of the senior leadership teams that I've been on. So what, what do you think it is that prevents women from, from taking the leap up to headship? I think there are lots of different reasons and I think I have to say sometimes women choose not to and that's fine I think one of the basic principles behind women ed is about respecting other people's choices especially when they're different from the choices you made so I didn't have children and wasn't fortunate in that respect 
but a lot of women when they do have children say actually now my priorities have shifted a bit it's not quite as clear as it might have seemed earlier in my life and some people make a conscious choice that actually I will find fulfillment in a different role or even a different area or, or whatever it might be and I think that's absolutely fine that that's acceptable and it's natural and it's understandable there are others who feel more frustrated because they want they want more from their career and and, and you know they may well want to balance that with the family as well um, but as I said earlier, sometimes the barriers are in, in our own heads. Sometimes it's actually lack of self-belief. It's lack of faith in our capacity to do what we're capable of doing. So I think that, that really coaching and mentoring and modelling and supporting, being a champion for women, helping women see that they sometimes have greater potential than they give themselves credit for. Now, I know it's hard to talk about this without lapsing into terrible stereotypical generalisations, but I've worked with a lot of men and women in my time, 30 years in schools, 10 years since. And men often have less of an issue with believing in their capacity. Um, they, they may just be a little bit bolder in some respects and, and less thrown by the fact that there are things they don't yet know and, and skills they don't yet have. So I think it's just helping women see what they could achieve and encouraging them not to close the doors in their own mind. So, and, and I, my, one of the pieces of advice I'd give to everybody is never say never. And I used to say when I was a younger teacher, I don't want to be ahead. It doesn't appeal to me. Um, I look at what senior leaders do and actually I'm not sure that I'm, I'm, I'm motivated by those kinds of things. I remember one saying my first school saying, you know, the deputy head has spent three days finding out who threw the first toilet roll on the bus. I don't want to do that. That isn't what lights my fire. <laughs> but actually, there's a lot more to senior leadership than that, as I became aware. And actually, when I was a deputy head, I quite enjoyed finding out who was the first person to throw I think it was it was a coke can in my school <laughs> not the toilet roll because it was an interesting challenge to get to the truth and to get the, the they were girls it was a girls school to take responsibility and own up and accept that they'd done something wrong and they needed to so it, all that was actually quite interesting um but yeah I enjoyed being a deputy and I enjoyed being a head even more because it was about making a difference and I realised that as a head you have the capacity to make a difference on a scale unlike any other you've ever known and that's a privilege. It's getting women to see that and getting them to see that they could step up to do that and that it would be worth it. So I do think it's getting better, I do think women are becoming bolder the whole women ed mantra is this 10% braver you know you yeah. don't need to be a different person you need to be yourself but just a little braver and and go for it and so many people say you know I took that on board I was 10% braver and I feel happier and more fulfilled I know leadership isn't for everybody Vicky and I'm, I'm not naive about that but I actually find leadership absolutely fascinating because it's about people and getting the best from people and people are fascinating aren't they so yeah so anything i can do to encourage women i've also done quite a lot with bame groups as well so um black asian minority ethnic women and men and helping them see what they may be capable of and how best to to, to promote what they can offer so recognize it communicate it articulate it in a in a clear and confident and self-assured way without seeming arrogant you know we want to be confident but not arrogant we've always got something to learn we're never the finished article um, and similarly you know according to your sexuality or your disability or whatever it might be not to hold yourself back and to cope with barriers where you feel other people are not actually giving you chances they're not seeing what you could be because you don't quite fit the the normal box and it's, in, it's interesting it's interesting that you say that i um i'm doing some training in the new year and it's um resilient leaders training um and part of it will be coaching leaders to become more resilient and i attended um a session that they did it was an online uh, session mm -hmm. and they were talking about the commonly shared barriers um 
that women face when they want to move up into different leadership roles and some of them like you were saying the lack of confidence imposter syndrome things that are internal um the feeling of being heard by um, by others and then the external ones and unconscious bias being one of them and that is so difficult and i think also with with bame um, teachers and leaders as well the idea of unconscious bias is something that i, I really struggle with and I've, I've i read have you read the book um why i'm no longer talking to uh, to white people about race it's on, it's on my list i haven't read it yet but i will do because so many people have been enthused about it it really has made me question my own biases and, and think about were I back working in a school, how would I use what I've learned from that book in the way that I would go about the business of dealing with staff and employing staff and interviews and application processes and things like that. But it's something that's so difficult, isn't it? Because it's ingrained in us. It's that, it's that sort of... Um, structural and systemic bias that we have and the top of the tree obviously is is white men you know followed by and then you go down and and it must be so difficult for for people in those minority groups mm -hmm. to achieve what they want to achieve I'm going to ask you now like it's a ridiculous question because there's not an, there's not an answer that's just in front of us is there but what do you see as being potential solutions to it it's just about awareness isn't it i mean the fact that we're talking about unconscious bias and we are we are asking ourselves those questions and we are catching ourselves sometimes thinking whoa i need to think yeah. think about that so it's just it's all about and it's about listening and learning from other people and 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 tuning into people with different experiences and, and properly listening to what they have to say and to reflecting on our own responses and i think so I, and i think that's why i do feel hopeful because i think we are far more aware i mean interesting obviously that the killing of george floyd was a terrible thing but the Black Lives Matter thing that's come out of that has actually been a very affirming thing. There's been a lot more thought and care and consideration and empathy. And it's, I've, I've listened to so many podcasts. I've, I've read so many things. I've talked to so many people. I was a bit reluctant initially to write about, for example, being a white ally because it, it is sensitive. It is uncomfortable. And there's a sense that you don't want to be the you know, the person who's who's coming forward i'll i'll save you i'll i'll be the messiah i'll deal with all this so i think you have to be very careful but i did recognize that saying nothing is the worst thing of all you can't just say well, this is too sensitive i'm just going to be very quiet about it and we have to confront these difficult things um so i spoke at an online event organized by the boarding schools association and i talked about being an ally and what i felt i was learning and what i still had to learn and yet confronting unconscious bias is a really important part of it but being aware that there's a problem accepting that we are all prejudiced in some way because the the fact is it, it's sometimes it's unknown and it's not necessarily conscious but that doesn't mean to say that it's acceptable and that it can't be changed challenged and changed so i think there have been some really interesting conversations some difficult conversations some arguments some fiery conversations um but i'm not surprised that 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 black people are angry i'd expect them to be angry we don't much like anger we especially don't like anger in women it's not quite acceptable no. to be angry um but there are times when anger is absolutely justified and can be quite productive because it leads to change and it's about having the right intentions but actually converting those into impact that makes a real difference to the experience of yeah, young people and adults in our society and you mentioned kind of white men being sort of the top of the pecking order almost but it's white men of a certain age as well if you're yeah. too old and i'm very sensitive of that now yeah. or you're too young you know you're not quite there um and at the same time i don't want white men of a certain age to feel that they are muzzled and that they're not important and they shouldn't have any power really interesting i heard um, johnny utley who's um 
chief executive of the Met, and he and John yeah. Thompson. He's got wrote the, the book. They are going to be on the podcast. Oh, brilliant! That yeah. would be brilliant. Yeah. They are fantastic men, and it's a brilliant book. Putting staff first. It's all yeah. about we can't reach the children if we don't invest in and develop and value the staff. It's a brilliant book, and he was talking at a, a collective ed event Leeds Beckett University organised um, on Saturday morning, and I was doing sort of live tweeting to to just promote it. And he said he, he almost didn't want to write the book because he and John said, you know, what the world doesn't need is another two middle-aged, middle-class white men writing a book and talking about this. But he was talking about his daughter who's doing sociology and who has become really involved and interested in all kinds of social issues since then. And he talked it through with her and she said, Dad, the fact that you are concerned about this, you're worried about this, you're thinking about this, suggests that probably you do have things to say. So they wrote the book. It's a brilliant book. And, and I think I don't I don't think we should be hampered by our our guilt and our need to yes, i've got it it's just uh, yes. here it's right i'm just, I'm just to, showing jill my copy of the book putting <laughs> staff first. really yeah. really recommend it um so that we're so guilty and so apologetic that we don't speak up and we don't do what we can and we don't listen um and i i think I think we are making progress, Vicky. I know I'm an eternal optimist, but I do think that the fact that we're talking about unconscious bias much more is a really important first step. We're not denying it exists. Yeah. We're just recognising that it's difficult to identify. It's, it's a very complex picture, isn't it? It's not straightforward and it's not simplistic because it's like you're saying there are so many different categories of women, fame, age, sexuality that that there's there's no there's no you can't like i said i suppose white men are at the top of the tree and that's a it's a generalization really isn't it and perhaps an unfair one to men who are in that position who you know potentially i, I don't know what you call it like suffer from prejudice as a result of being what what yeah. what's seen as you know that sort of um person who what's the word I'm looking for that they get white um, privilege or the privilege mm. of the middle-aged white man. So, you know, it's not, I know it's not that simple, but it's about, it's about commitment to diversity, isn't it? It's about as leaders being role models and showing our commitment to diversity within yeah. our organizations and, and, and doing whatever we can. Yeah. Before we find out more from Jill about how as a leader, you can support more diversity in your organisation, I'd just like to tell you a little bit about our partner, headteacherchat.com. Headteacherchat discusses lots of topics from how to support pupils with learning, how to support parents and the many issues that come with leading a school. The aim of headteacherchat is to support headteachers and school leaders who are in a challenging and often lonely role. They do this by offering lots of information for schools to tap into. For example, they have lots of fantastic education companies on their database for leaders to discover, as well as leadership templates to download. They've written product reviews for leaders who are looking for products for their school. And this year, they've even launched the very first school leader planner, especially designed to help leaders to be productive and organised. If you'd like to hear more about Head Teacher Chat, you can find them on their website at www.headteacherchat.com. Head Teacher Chat. It's what head teachers are talking about. Now let's get back to the interview. That absolutely, and that was very much my 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 point in the the um, boarding schools association uh, event, which I then I wrote a blog about it, it being an ally, being a leader who has the opportunity to model being a powerful ally and encouraging those they lead to embrace allyship and standing beside people and helping give them a voice, helping amplify their voice, not saving them, not sorting all the problems, but actually doing what we can. Um, so Hannah Wilson, is Hannah involved in the Resilient She leadership? is, yes, yes, yeah. and I've, I've interviewed her on the podcast. Yeah, yeah she, Hannah is, is brilliant, and she, she and Benny Cara are, are, are very much leading at the diverse ed thing. Um, and she, whenever she, she speaks to anything now, she always says, I'm going to share the mic and I'm going to find someone from an underrepresented group to speak alongside me. And there are, there are kind of practical things that we can do. And, and certainly making sure that 
that when you have something like a podcast or a conference or everything, you know, is there a reasonable diversity of you know, age, race, sexuality, um, disability? I mean, I think people who are disabled have it particularly, particularly tough. A lot of disability is not visible. Um, and it's just how you how you're perceived you know are you seen for your potential or are you seen as vulnerable i have a a, a friend who is disabled who just really hates the word vulnerable because she says it puts her in a victim slot mm. um rather than thinking about where she has capacity i mean she's hugely intelligent she's got great i, I met her because we were both doing doctorates at the same time um, she's got great sense of humor big personality but people look at her and can't necessarily see past the disability. Mm. So she's not getting credit and value for the things that she can really contribute. So that it is really complex. It is really difficult. It is really sensitive. <laughs> and I think for all those reasons, sometimes we dodge it a bit and we shouldn't dodge it. We need to be actively seeking ways to, to improve our society for those who who just have a, a tougher time of it yeah and that just that sort of leads me into to the next thing that i wanted to talk about because it's about supporting people as well isn't it it's it's giving a hand up and some i i feel like some it's the same with, when we're dealing with children sometimes the idea of equality and have you seen the cartoon where it gives you three different versions of three people are trying to look and watch a baseball match over a wall and it's like the different boxes that they put and they're, they're all given a box and, and it's all the same size and then they're all given different sizes of boxes and I think some people believe that everybody should have exactly the same opportunities and the and the same you know they should be put in like the same circumstances but some people need more help yeah. to get to the the point that they need to be at so in terms of women becoming heads um what 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 are your thoughts on co-headships because i feel like mm. if that was something i could have that was a possibility for me I mm. potentially would have gone into headship. My issue was that when you're ahead, it takes over your life. And I've still got two children and I'm, I'm a single mum looking after those children. Um, and I felt I, I wasn't in a position to commit to something mm. that was going to take up so much of my time and energy and leave me deplete when I come home and not able to, to be the mum that I want to be. So what's your view on co co-headships and and how can we promote that? Yeah. Have you um have you interviewed Anna Turner at all? Is no, Turner, I, I have a feeling that I tried to get in touch via their website, but the email address wasn't working. So if you could put me in touch with her, that would be brilliant I because I have yeah. tried getting in touch with her to come on the show actually. So Emma Turner was a co-head in a primary school. Um, she's absolutely committed to the idea of flexibility and she's just written a really good book. It's very funny and it's also very wise um, called Let's Talk About Flex. And she is really good on this. She's really good on, on job sharing, um, co-headship, other models of flexibility. She talks about flexible living, not just flexible working, because there also needs to be flexibility in the home. I felt a bit alarmed this year because of, of COVID and lockdown. I seem to know quite a lot of women who have been working when, when we were in full lockdown, working remotely. Also, supervising their children's online learning and yeah. also running the home and dealing with everything else while in some cases male partners were shut in the study all day on their laptop because they were at work and I thought have we taken a huge step backwards here what what's happening and it's really hard because we all find the lines between work and, and home difficult at times but those lines disappeared completely because suddenly the kitchen table became your workspace as well yeah. so it was really tricky so it's about flexible living not just flexible working 
And it's not just about women going part-time because they've got families. It's much more complex than that. So my advice to anybody thinking about co-headship, if you read Let's Talk About Flex, it's got lots of really good advice. It talks about the principles, but it also talks about the practicalities, how you can make it work. I hope it's becoming more common. I hope flexible working is becoming more common. It has to be one of the advantages of COVID that we have learned there are all kinds of creative ways yeah. of managing our professional responsibilities. So let's stop in school saying, you know, we're part-time staff with too difficult timetable, job shares, oh no, it won't be good for the kids, all this rubbish. And let's be a lot more broad-minded and receptive about it. And to go back to what you were saying about equality, another book I'd strongly recommend is Benny Cara's Little Guide for Teachers about diversity in schools. She'd be a great guest as well, Vicky, if you're looking for people. She, she's really good on diversity. Um, and Benny herself would say, you know, she's she's a woman, she's BAME, um, she's in a same-sex relationship at the moment and she's got hearing loss she said I cover all the tick all the boxes you know in diversity bingo so for her diverse ed has been brilliant because instead of dealing with all these protected characteristics separately you bring them all together and she's written this book and it's in the little guide to series so it's very slim you can read it in a few hours and it's brilliant and she talks about the difference between equality which kind of suggests we're all the same and should be treated the same and equity or yeah. equitability which takes into account some of the barriers that some people face and it thinks about how you can support how you can give them that step so that they can see over the wall into the baseball game and, and this is this is really important to well-being as well isn't it and, and i think i don't know whether some of the listeners are thinking what's all this diversity stuff got to do with with well-being but i think it's one of the facets of it that it you cannot have well-being without without diversity and without that commitment to diversity would you agree absolutely because it enriches everybody again i think if you have a diverse network of people you gain from that um, and obviously, if you are in a, an underrepresented group or a protected characteristic, your well-being is really going to be jeopardised. Yeah. If you feel you don't have a voice, you're, you're, you're not valued, you're not developed. So it is absolutely key because it's about who we are and it's about how we relate. And I think well-being is very much about communication, about contact, about support, um, about about friendship as well as professional mentoring and coaching and all those things so so yeah and, and really well-being I suppose is at the core of everything isn't it and and if we don't get it right if you're worried about your well-being if you're really anxious if you're fearful if you're depressed how can you possibly be your best personally or professionally yeah. so we need to, to tackle well-being and if you're a leader it's a kind of double whammy you need to protect your own but you also need to be aware of the well-being and the balance of those you lead and how you can safeguard and encourage them to protect their own so it's not it, it's complex in that you don't just look after yourself you have to help others look after themselves it, it works two ways doesn't it i think you have to look after your own well-being and also the well-being of, of all the people you're responsible for i think the 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 thing that I, that keeps coming up is this idea of well-being being something that is specific to individuals and I think that's the thing that that heads and leaders and governors probably are wrestling with it's the idea that it's not in the interview that I just did with um, Dr Helen Kelly she said it's not a one-size-fits-all and no, it's no. not it's the ultimate differentiation isn't it all teachers and and mm. leaders are familiar with the idea and the struggles that we have with differentiation how do you differentiate effectively for a class of children and that that's that it's just the problem that keeps posing itself every year isn't it and mm. it's the same with well-being because it's such an individual and personal thing that it's that's the thing that heads and leads and governors are struggling with how do you deal with that when it's such a personal issue and, and you're right, this, two people can have exactly the same life experience and one person is resilient enough and manages to cope with it and the other is much more anxious. But it's about support and I think it's exactly the same issue. I hadn't thought of it in that way, but mentioning differentiation with children, we used to kind of 
change what we were aiming for with different children so this is what they're capable of this is what they're capable of and I think now we have a much more enlightened view that no actually we want everyone to aim high but some people will need more support more scaffolding more modeling that's all we're giving them more structure we're not expecting less from them we're not giving them acts not failing to give them access to the challenging stuff we're just helping them we're giving them a higher step if you like so I think well-being for, for staff is, is exactly the same um, Johnny Utley said something brilliant at the weekend which I, I tweeted when he was in this collective ed event about how well-being is all about your culture it's about the way the school operates it's your relationships it's your communication it's not about putting on yoga on a friday night that might be part of it but that isn't going to work for everybody so you have to try and get the culture right and you will only get the culture right by listening and talking and wrestling with difficult things what is causing people anxiety what can we do about it what can they do about it what can none of us do anything about it you know we can't wish covid away just by getting angry or frustrated or frightened so what measures can we take to deal with it what is within our power and how do we use that power for ourselves and to help others what's beyond our control let's try not to waste too much of our energy railing against it because that isn't going to help so and i know that's again that sounds a bit simplistic vicky but i do think that that this idea of what can i control and what can i not control and if i can't control it can i try not to let it eat away at me too badly um there was also something the teacher tap survey last week about work not letting go of you um, so going to bed at night and not being able to turn off your brain so you're not sleeping because you're fretting. And I said, and I'm really not being unsympathetic here, but actually it isn't work not letting go of you. It's you not letting go of work. And if we if we kind of shift our mindset a little bit, so we're not we're not just victims. We do have some agency. And if work seems to be not letting go of us, then what is within our capacity to do about that? And it might be having a conversation with your line manager or to say, I'm really struggling with this. What can you suggest that might help me? I'm not asking you to take the problem from me and deal with it because actually that doesn't take us forward. But can you support me to deal with the problem myself? And then it's and about how you have the openness that people feel like they can go. Yeah, the trust. Yeah. Can, can you that. be honest or do you feel someone will judge you, um, fail to promote you because you, you're admitting that, that you're not struggling but there's a huge thing about we have to accept that it's okay not to be okay i mean i i'm pretty resilient i have to say i'm fairly positive I, i'm very fortunate in lots of ways i'm not dealing with a lot of things that many people are but i just had a day the other day i just felt a bit fed up really and then i stopped and thought actually jill it's fine to feel fed up it's not surprising you're fed up don't beat yourself up because you're feeling fed up the next day i felt better yeah. so i think this kind of and and you know and again johnny utley was sort of saying obviously he's a leader he's a successful leader has lots of responsibility but he has days where he's he's on his knees he's exhausted he's low and he's he's hum, hum, humility he's humble enough he has sufficient humility to be able to admit that and to show his humanity this guy called john dunford who was the um general secretary of the union askel yeah when i was a deputy in the head and um, and he always says that leaders need four h's we need humanity we need humility we need hope and we need humor and i think that's been particularly relevant this year so humanity humility hope and humor at any level of leadership if you don't have those four things then you will struggle in some ways and i think it has been really tested this year and i think it's stepped up brilliantly but at some cost people are exhausted and yes there is a lot of anxiety and holidays haven't really been holidays as much as they need to be because we have to rest and refresh or we don't have the energy to do what we need to do when we go back to work. So 
being aware of that and thinking how we can support each other has never been more important. I think when you said um, you were you were talking, I want to just come back to this because I thought it was absolutely brilliant. When you differentiate for a class, it's about supporting knowing the knowing the children in your class who you need to give that extra support to. So we have an expectation. We teach to the top. And then we put the measures in to support the children who we know. And I think that's how well-being in a school works as well. And that comes down to understanding your staff and knowing them. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and it's about how you start doing that. And it might be that you start small, um, but it's about really getting to know your staff. And as a head, you can't know every single member of the staff in your school if you've got 100 teachers in, in a large well, you can. No, you can. comprehensive school. But, yeah, there are, you can. but there are ways that you can make that easy for there yourself are. out there by, yeah. by putting there them are. in place. And you have to have strategies for how can I build my relationships with these people. Um, I mean, when I became a head, we had 975 pupils, I don't know how many staff altogether, including all the support staff, but, but you know, well over 100 staff. And I made it a priority to get to know them, to get to know their names, to get to know their roles, to get to know a bit about them. Obviously, it takes time because yeah. you're starting from knowing nothing. But it was just like with the with the children as well. I thought, how can I best get to know as many of these children as I can? So I, I taught year seven for one lesson a week with every class every year and it meant that by October half term I knew all the year seven so it was four forms or five forms um, and, and year on year I built up the, the number of children I taught and then I, I, I'd go to sports matches and obviously music things and drama things and, and get to know you know what's her name right looking at the program right okay and then the next day in the corridor I could say well done Emily you were great last night and she's thinking oh, that's the head and she knows my name there are ways of doing it I was really lucky when I became um, a head they'd had a, a whole staff photograph with my predecessor the summer term before she was leaving which is a nice thing to do when the head is going yeah and across the bottom they've got all the names and I used to have this in my office and I used to kind of use it to revise. So, you know, I'd say, you know, somebody would say something in the staff room. I'm thinking, oh, right. OK, which one is that? And go into my office and say, right, that's Deborah. OK, what's her role? She's a classics teacher. OK, next time I have lunch with her, I can say you're having a good day, Deborah, or whatever it might be. So it can be done and it's not easy. You're doing lots and lots of other things. But if you think it isn't important as a leader, knowing their names, a bit about them, what they do, how well they do it, how you can value them. I, th I think you've, you're missing the point. And I think that goes back to Johnny Utley's point about it's the culture. And if the culture is that the individual matters and that you're going to get to know them, then you're going to make the effort to teach year seven, however you want to do it. Yeah. And, and think, not just think this is big and I can't possibly do that. And you, the way you use your senior team. So different people might have strong relationships with different members of the yeah. staff, but as a senior team, you know them, you care about them, you value them, you support them. I think that, that it also comes down to, in the last podcast that I was doing with um, Dr. Helen Kelly, we were talking about the investment that wellbeing requires. Mm -hmm. And that's an investment in time and the time it takes to put the effort into, into getting to know people. And that's really important. But then once you, once you know people and you understand what their needs are, it's about putting in a wide range of support mechanisms so that everybody is, is supported. And, and that's, that's the important thing. And sometimes that might require some investment in terms of, of cost and in terms of time for staff to access coaching or counseling or, all different sorts of um, support mechanisms that you might put in place it might do but a lot of it actually is does it, it does need time but it doesn't necessarily need money because a lot of it is about the listening and giving time to people yeah. when I in my first term as a head I scheduled 20 minute chats with each individual member of staff all the teaching staff but but also not not absolutely every member of the support staff because you know that would have been a 
too many people to, to manage but certainly the person who was supervising the cleaning team or the catering team or, or the ground staff or whatever it was um, and I asked them just to tell me one thing about the school that they hoped would never change and one thing about the school that they kind of hoped might change during my my headship and and it gave them something to think about beforehand and prepare for because some of them were nervous about sitting down meeting the new head which I understood and it meant that I was in listening mode rather than talking mode and it was really interesting and I remember one part-time member of the P staff coming in and sitting down she said, before I tell you my two things can I just say I've never had a one-to-one -one conversation with the head before and I have never been asked what I thought about the school before and I'm a parent here as well as a, a, a teacher I've been in the P department for 11 years part-time and I remember thinking my god this was worth doing for that one comment alone because actually it showed that I wanted to learn I would be responsive to what they had to say so I think it is about it is about relationships it is about listening you were absolutely right when you were saying you can't it, it isn't one size fits all so you don't say right this is our well-being program and it's going to cover everybody's needs but you also need to be responsive Vicky because people's needs change at different times and I talk a lot about in any leadership role having a balance between support and constructive challenge because we all need both we need yeah. to be supported but we also need to be constructively challenged if Absolutely. we're going to be our best yeah and and, and i did an, um, an online session with middle leaders last night and the first thing i talked about was how well do you know your team just what you were saying how well do you know them and and do you know what each of them needs from you as the leader what do they need if they're going to be their best and don't think that's what they need that's what they will always need because sometimes if your teenage children are causing problems your parents are in decline your marriage is in trouble your health isn't great you need a bit more support and a bit less challenge and if the leaders don't know that about you they don't know you're going through that then it's very hard really to to, to kind of think what do they need from me now mm. on the other hand somebody might think they're really ready for a new challenge they're actually ready to 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 leap to a new responsibility so if I don't help them with that challenge then they're not going to be their best when I was deputy head it was interesting I was the only deputy head in in the schools so it was a big role but one of my roles was doing staff cover and I know staff cover is usually a bit of an admin job now and I understand why but you know doing staff cover gave me such insight into people's lives and what they were dealing with yeah. and it helped me be a better deputy and it helped me be better supporting my head because i said you need to know that so-and-so's sister is terminally ill and and i think that was really important in terms of what people needed i did a tedx talk last year vicky which i really enjoyed and it was about getting the best from yourself and getting the best from others and part of it was be very careful that you don't get in a bit of a rut in your expectations of someone. You know, you think, well, I know this person and I know what they're like and I know what they're good at and I know what they need because things change in time. And sometimes we have to give people the benefit of the doubt and say, actually, I need to look afresh at that person because they're not the same person they were five years ago when they became an NQT. And I mustn't be fixed in my expectations of them because people change and relationships change and we need to be sensitive to that and yeah. receptive to that. and it's and it's about creating that balance between support and challenge isn't it and knowing when to switch one up or move one down and yeah. switch one up and and unless unless you know your staff you can't get that yeah. balance right can you thank you so much for joining us today it's been, it's been a pleasure very insightful and i'm I'm absolutely certain that the listeners will be taking so much from it in terms of things that they can even just go away and have a think about. I think we've posed some philosophical questions maybe that people might go away and, and consider carefully. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. I've enjoyed it, Vicky. Good luck if, with them putting it together. Thank you very much. If people want to get um, to find more information out about you and what you do where can they find you or if they want to engage in a discussion with you on twitter perhaps <laughs> yeah so i'm at jillberry102 on twitter and uh, jill with a j there is an app there's a jillberry out there and and I, I have a hotmail address that I have a 102 in the middle of um, and it's 102 because J is the 10th letter of the alphabet and 
berries a second. So oh. 102 <laughs> is something I use. Um, and this, the, there's a Jill Berry who's an artist in Florida and she quite often gets tweets that are meant for me or emails that are meant for me. So she, she forwards them. She's great. And we have a conversation. She says oh, it's nice. sunny, <laughs> sunny in Florida and I say it's raining here in Newark. And yeah. so, yeah, it's the 102 that people need to remember. And my blog similarly is jillberry102.blog. I blog about education. So you can do a search, see if there's anything in there that is of relevance. You know, I've talked about managing email and running my meetings and interviews and women ed and all I, sorts I've, of I've read, I've read a number of your blogs. I think they're, I think they're really. Oh, really thank beautiful. you. I, yeah. I really enjoy it. And people can contact me via the blog. So you can actually, it'll send me an email and then I'll respond. And, and um, you wrote a chapter, didn't you, in 10% Braver, which I, I do have. Yeah. I can't show you that because I've got it on my Kindle, but I, do, <laughs> I, have, I have read that as well. And um, you've, also, you've also got a book um, called Making the Leap, Moving from yeah. Deputy to Head, haven't you? Which, yeah. um, based on some of the things that we've been talking about, some of our listeners might be quite yeah, interested that's right. in that too. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Have a, have a nice day and hopefully we can uh, we can speak more because there's, there's so much more that I would love to to explore with you if we'd had time. I'd be very happy to do that and good luck to you Vicky and your career progression and your future choices and I hope you find it fulfilling and energising and get in touch if I can support with that in any way too. Brilliant. Wow. Thanks, I really enjoyed that conversation with Jill. She's very astute and sensitive to the needs of leaders and staff in schools and it, some there were some really insightful comments and suggestions that Jill uh, provided and I'm sure that they will be extremely useful to leaders who are working to create a culture of well-being in their schools. There were so many takeaways in the interview um, but a couple of the key ones for me were first of all that knowing and understanding your staff and as a leader <clears throat> how you can do this even in a large comprehensive school, by making it a priority to get to know and understand your staff is so important because like we were saying in the interview, each member of staff will have a different well-being need and that will change at different points in the time that they're working in your school and in their career. And Jill emphasises the acknowledgement of the, the importance of acknowledging that and being responsive to staff's needs at different points and how as an effective leader if you are going to build a culture of well-being that's what you need to do and it's we talked about it being a little bit like differentiation and having the high expectations of well-being for all of your staff another key takeaway for me was the four things you need to be a successful leader and it's the four h's which makes it quite easy to to remember so humanity humility hope and humor and if you can if you can exude those things if you can understand yourself and how you can approach each of those elements it will really help you to improve your leadership and finally um i thought it was a really good idea that she talked about when she took on the role of head how she had a meeting with every single member of staff and I think that's a really good idea to ask your staff. This has come up in other interviews that we've done and it's the importance of listening to your staff and asking for their views and having the courage to do that, even though they might say things that you might not like. It's about taking those things on board and thinking about what you will do about that. So she asked the staff, one thing they would change, but one thing that they like about the school. And I don't think that's something that you only have the opportunity to do when you take on the role as a head. I think that's something that you could do on a yearly basis if you really want to get to know what's going on in your school from the perspective of the staff and not the perspective of a leader. I'm absolutely certain that you're taking something useful away from this interview. And I want to say thanks to Jill for so many useful ideas and suggestions for things that you can do as a leader and I really hope that we can speak to her again in the future. That's all for this episode and that will be the last interview that I do for this year. Um, 
I'm going to try to put together an episode <clears throat> of all the best bits from all the interviews that we've got, um, a Christmas crackers episode, so to speak. So look out for that one. I hope that you have a great Christmas if you don't listen to the podcast before and I wish you a happy new year. Take care of yourself, take care of your staff and lead well. Thanks for listening. The We Lead Well podcast was brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchat.com and the Teach Well Alliance.